Rinkwide Vancouver. The Vancouver Canucks overcome a slow start in Chicago, but they had a big second period, and that was enough to propel them to a 4-3 victory over the Blackhawks. And the Canucks go 1-0-1, picking up three of a possible four points in this quick back-to-back weekend that started in Minnesota and carried on to the Windy City. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway. Jeff Patterson once again, joined by David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. You know, not pretty. And you look at the matchup here, the Canucks, one of the top teams in the NHL, the Blackhawks, dead last in the standings, but the Hawks were rested. They were waiting for the Vancouver Canucks, who had played the day before and had to travel. First period certainly looked like that. The Canucks found their legs and asserted themselves in the second. Had to hang on a little bit at the end, but uh, it is a victory. They're 21st of the season. The Canucks now 21-9 and 2 on the season. 4-3, they beat the Blackhawks. Dave... Uh, again, they're not all going to be works of art uh, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, but really, all things considered, hard to argue with three or four points from a back-to-back weekend. Yeah, and I don't want to overhype them beating the league's worst team because they should have won this game. But Jeff, the conversation you and I had yesterday was they need their stars to take over, and that's what happened in the second period. Now, I know the third line had a big game, and we'll talk about that, but the stars were good in this game and that's what the Canucks really needed um, yesterday that they didn't get and they got it in the second period uh, with the first period looking like it was going to be more of the same of what we saw on Saturday. Right. And in fact, I would roll it back to the late stages of the first period because what else did they need in Minnesota? A power play goal and the Canucks had the five on three. Uh, The Blackhawks get out of that, but before the guy can get out of the box and back into the play, there's JT Miller with a centering pass and Elias Pettersson, a one-timer, but not the big wind-up one-timer that we're used to. This was more just in his wheelhouse and uh, made no mistake there, his 12th goal of the season. And so where it looked like the Canucks might go to the locker room down one nothing and wondering about where was their game and could they ever find their offense, Pettersson's goal, I think, allowed them to exhale just a little bit. And you're right, there were the stars showing up. Again, it wasn't for lack of effort. I mean, Elias Pettersson, and we talked about the fact that he had uh, seven shots on goal in Minnesota and the power play generated 11 shots, but nobody wants to talk about the chances. You want to talk about the goals that were scored and they struggled against a Minnesota team. Again, these are the Blackhawks. Uh, They are terrible. They were without uh, their top three defensemen, and it's hard to even figure out who their top three defensemen are, but by ice time and by point production, four rookie blue liners in their lineup. And yeah, it took a little longer than it ought to have for the Vancouver Canucks to assert themselves. And then again, they start the second period and 35 seconds in, they give up a power play goal. They're down two to one. They're trailing. But that's when they seem to snap to attention. And it kind of felt like, all right, enough of this. Just look at the two lineups. Look at the talent level. Look at the standings. Whatever the case, the Canucks knew that they were the better team. And they started to lean on Chicago. And when you look at the way that second period wound up at even strength, according to Natural Statric, the scoring chances were 13 to one for the Canucks. Uh, the high dangers were seven to one and it sort of felt that way. And so once they got going they found their legs and that 41 second span really kind of turned this game on its ear. Dakota Joshua, uh, you talk about that line, just continues to chip away and produce for the Vancouver Canucks. Joshua gets his seventh of the year. And then 41 seconds after that, it was Brock Besser looking like rookie Brock Besser coming in off the wing and making no mistake, 23rd goal of the season. 
ties Austin Matthews uh, back into the tie for the NHL goal-scoring lead, so the incredible season for Brock Besser continues. And that was huge because it gave the Canucks their first lead of the afternoon, and I think it allowed them to exhale just a little bit. Now, there was still a lot of hockey to be played, and uh, Chicago, to their credit, they didn't go quietly and push the Canucks right down to the final buzzer. But uh, when Ilya Mikheyev extended the lead and made it 4-2, to two, I think you felt pretty good that the Vancouver Canucks would find a way to get this result uh, across the finish line. And ultimately, that is what happened. Yeah, you're in protection mode against a bad team. But when we say that they looked like a completely different team in the first than they did in the second, uh, we're not exaggerating. In the first period, zero shots at five on five for the Vancouver Canucks in that first period. And in the second period, I also think it's worth, worth mentioning as important as the power play goal was, all three of those goals coming at five on five from all three lines that you expect to score. That's a really key part of this game. Yeah, and I think at the end of the night, if the Canucks get that sort of spread offense, you'd like to think that they're going to win a lot of games, particularly against a Blackhawks team that's now lost four in a row, has lost eight of its last 10, uh, you know, got off to a reasonable start, maybe even a surprising start. Uh, they were five and seven through a dozen games, but since then, the bottom has fallen out for the Chicago Blackhawks. So we talked about the injuries there. I mean, it really is Connor Bedard and then a cast of uh, pretty anonymous guys. Uh, I suppose a few former Canucks there in Jason Dickinson and Anthony Bavillier now, but uh, there isn't a whole lot going on. Nick Felino with two other goals, their first two goals, uh, five and six for him on the season. And then Cole Gutman. And when Shorty said Gutman scores, like, honestly, I had to look at the roster. Uh, it was a name that I hadn't heard all season long. Uh, it was a name that I hadn't heard throughout the afternoon. But uh, Cole Gutman was there to, you know, make things interesting because Chicago scores again another power play goal with 13 minutes remaining in this hockey game. And so the Canucks had to sweat it out, but they are able to secure a 4-3 victory. So uh, as I said, you know, there were parts of the game in Minnesota that I didn't love. Uh, there were parts of this one against Chicago that, uh, again, leave room for improvement, but it is hard to argue with uh, a win and an, a shootout loss and picking up three of four. They've, you know, won five of six, and the one game that they didn't win was in Minnesota, where at least they secured a single point there. So 5-0-1 in their last six hockey games, and they continue to keep pace with the top of the standings, and they continue to pull away from some of those teams that are part of this Western Conference chase pack. Uh, let's just go back through the goals that the Canucks scored because uh, we talked a little bit about the Pedersen goal. Five on three, moved the puck around reasonably well. Miller with the shot that fells Connor Murphy, and that was obviously part of that. Chicago was already down a man, and now a veteran blue liner is hobbling and not much used to the penalty kill there, and the Canucks able to find that open seam and uh, again, Elias Pettersson's not going to miss too many from that spot. And so uh, nice to see him pull the trigger uh, to get his 12th goal of the season. Yeah, and look, I, I don't want to overstate it too much, but a power play goal. A power play goal, so important for this team, given how yesterday the power play really was the difference for them and not in the way that they would have hoped. You look at the second goal the Canucks score that tied the game 2-2. Dakota Joshua gets it. Brilliant little deflection, but... Connor Garland's the engine. Uh, there's no question about that. Makes the play on the entry, carries the puck to the sideboards, recognizes that he's got a little time and space to wind up. And uh, not quite Henrik to Daniel, but a little bit of slap pass uh, in there. I mean, Connor Garland is putting that puck to the front of the net, hoping that Dakota Joshua is going to do that and a short side deflection. And again, the more you watch Dakota Joshua, not just a big body, there are some hands there. We saw the spinorama goal the other night against the Florida Panthers. Obviously, the freebie uh, that Sergei Bobrovsky put on a tee for him. Uh, but this one, yeah, there's skill there involved. And uh, Dakota Joshua up to seven goals now on the season. 
uh, at the 32 game mark. So, uh, you know, scoring basically once every four games, uh, keep doing that. Uh, the math tells you, you know, you're going to be pushing 20 goals at the end of the season. I don't know that he gets to 20 goals. I remember Rick Tockett uh, shortly after he took over last year, uh, he told me that he thought Dakota Joshua could be a 20 goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Uh, again, I still think that's a bit of a bold prediction and a, a hot take. Not that the coach is in the hot take business, but, you know, let's see where it plays out. But if you could get 15 out of Dakota Joshua, I think you're calling that an absolute win. And when I look back now, and I did this as this game was going on, you know, since Rick Tockett took over, and there have been a few moments there where Tockett's had to do the tough love thing with Dakota Joshua and scratched him for the game in San Jose, that 10 1 win uh, back in early November. But overall, when you look at Dakota Joshua now on uh, balance with the, you go back to January when Rick Tockett took over, 12 goals, 14 assists, 26 points in 67 games. So, you know, that is sort of that 15 goal, 35 point pace from a a guy that doesn't get much power play time, a guy that uh, leads this team in hits, has become one of the top penalty killers. Like that's a pretty valuable asset. And again, I, I just, there was a lot to like in his goal that tied the game at two. Yeah, that's those are middle six winger numbers, right? Like those are a guy who can pop up to your top six if if you need him to. And that's what the Canucks ultimately want Dakota Joshua to become. And we're seeing him kind of develop into that. I want to go back a little bit to Connor Garland because you talked about him being the engine of that line and how he set up Joshua on that goal. I was just so impressed with how Garland has been driving play because the Canucks don't really have any play driving wingers on their team uh, and that includes Connor Garland but the way he's playing right now and the way he's played these past two games especially he's driving play for that line and you said it he's the engine of that line and I've just been so impressed uh, with Connor Garland's game in this one. Well, if you've been impressed with Connor Garland, clearly you've been impressed with Brock Besser and what he's done since opening night with his four goals and kind of signaled then that, hey, maybe this was going to be the year for Brock Besser and it's just continued and uh, his consistency. We're running out of things to say and yet there's 50 games to go here for this guy who's up to 23 now. And again, Austin Matthews didn't play in that 7-0 lease romp over the Penguins. Probably would have found <laughs> the back of the net uh, the way pucks were going in against Pittsburgh, but uh, he's stuck at 23 and Besser matches him now and of course, Brock Besser just continues. Uh, it's unfortunate for him that the point streak came to an end in his home state with his family and his friends there in Minnesota, but didn't let that get to him. Scored a big goal that put the Canucks in front for the first time. And again, at 41 seconds after Joshua had scored, a uh, right shot guy coming down the left side. So that stick is to the middle of the ice, gives him a few options there. And he just picked his spot. And Peter Morazic got a piece of it, but uh, the way Brock's shooting the puck this year, if you're a goalie, you got to get all of it. Uh, otherwise, uh, he's going to beat you. And he did there. Uh, he's just playing with so much confidence. It's fun to watch. Yeah. And the thing about Brock Besser is the conversation we've had so many times this year is about how he's playing at a level that's far above where he was in his rookie year, where he scored all those goals and he was going to break 30 if he didn't have that horrific back injury at the end of the year. But not only is this the best we've seen him play since that rookie season, He's scoring goals in completely different ways than he did in his rookie season. He's deflecting pucks. He's getting in hard on the forecheck. He's, you know, at the net front and he's all over the ice. Just, you know, pucks are going off him. He's been a little bit lucky this year as well. But for him to score a goal like that in that game where he's coming in on the rush on a two on one, that was a rookie Brock Besser goal. And it was very good to see uh, him go far side on Peter Morazic there. Uh, Rick Tockett always talks about uh, his staples. One of the staples of rink-wide Vancouver is so uh, we do this Brock Besser math after pretty much every game. Uh, this was the 32nd game of the season. Uh, even I can tell you that means there's 50 to go. 
50 games remaining, Dave. He's got 23 goals. He needs seven to get to 30. He needs 17 to get to 40 oh with the boy. pace that he's on. And we keep saying, well, he, it's not sustainable. You know, there's going to be a dip here. I mean, a dip for him is a handful of games, and then he scores in, in bunches again, and he had the hat trick last week. So uh, it has just been uh, so much fun to watch, and I know that he's enjoying it, and so he should. And yet, I think what he's really enjoying is the fact that this team is having the success that all of these guys that have been around for a while now have been wanting so badly, and they just haven't been able to achieve. And so, uh, you know, the goals are great, the wins are better, and Brock Besser has been a huge part of the Canucks getting to 21 victories in 32 hockey games. So the Besser goal put them up 3-2. to two. And then they just kept applying the pressure and just kept leaning on Chicago. And there were opportunities there. They couldn't cash in. And then a really good shift by that newly formed line that we saw in Minnesota. And Rick Tockett saw enough that he wanted to start this game with Pia Suter playing alongside Elias Pettersson and Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, who, who knew that uh, you know the, the newest winger for Elias Pettersson was actually a center that was just a little bit lower in the lineup, although I suppose I say that they've tried Sam Lafferty, who has played a little bit in the middle as well. But Pia Suter got the promotion, didn't really pan out in Minnesota, but again, it caught the eye of the coach and wanted to see more of it. So uh, Pia Suter plays with Pettersson and gets the second assist. Uh, and, and we do this all the time when we break down these games. You know, a lot of times people allow secondary assists. No, there are times where the secondary assist is every bit as important as the primary assist. And the work that Pia Suter does behind the net to fish a puck free to sort of start that sequence to get it back to the point, and then ultimately Mikheyev tips the shot. Uh, just some terrific tenacity shown by Pia Suter. And if you go back and watch the goal, Jeff, what he did was he went in behind the net, wins it back, feeds Elias Pettersson for a one-timer at the at the net front. Pettersson shoots it wider, it was blocked wherever it went, and Suter goes and gets the puck again. And this time he's in the corner, and then he feeds Tyler Myers, who obviously blasts it with Ilya Mikheyev getting the deflection. But Suter's work on the forecheck in the play directly before the goal where he actually got the secondary assist was what I was most impressed with him extending that offensive zone time for the Canucks. Uh, if, if he's doing that on Elias Pettersson's wing and, you know, not to mention the fact that he fed Elias Pettersson off of that play at the net front for a pretty prime scoring opportunity, uh, it's going to be hard to take him off that line, not to mention with how well Teddy Bluger's playing, uh, centering that line with Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland. It was a conversation you and I had yesterday was, oh, when when does Pia Suter get that shot as the third line center ahead of Teddy Bluger? And I don't think, I don't think he's going to get that shot. I think he's going to keep this shot with... Elias Pettersson and Ilya Mikheyev because his work on that goal was just it was too good he was instrumental in that play and yeah that's a secondary assist that he definitely definitely earned well he's a guy that has produced in three years at the National Hockey League level he's sort of been that 15 goal range you know not necessarily top end production but you've heard Rick Tockett when he was out of the lineup how much they missed him when he got back in the lineup how much he appreciated you know, just the hockey IQ and the smarts that he brings to the mix. And so I think, you know, he can read off a guy like Elias Pettersson. And Ilya Mikheyev, again, just kind of quietly goes about his business. I'm still not sure that there's been that much flash to Mikheyev's game. Like when they signed him, you know, they signed him as a guy that was one of the fastest straight line skaters in the National Hockey League. And obviously last year played on, a, on an injured knee and uh, had it surgically repaired. So I'm not sure that he's even close to 100% we don't see him flat out beating guys, but 
here he is with 10 goals. He's into double digits. He's just, he's in the right spots. A smart guy. Nice deflection there. You know, we've raved all season about uh, the Canucks in their net front. Couple of goals off deflections here in this one against Chicago. But, you know, Ilya Mikheyev, it is remarkable because, uh, you know, you think of all the high-end skill that this Vancouver Hockey Club has, but this guy, what, missed the first four games, so he hasn't played 32. He's played 28 games, and he's got 10 goals already. It's unbelievable. Like, it's unbelievable. It's it's the kind of production that you were hoping to get from whoever Elias Patterson's winger was. But look, you said it. He's, he's you know, we don't know if he's at 100%, and he definitely wasn't at 100% when he came back. And I don't want to say 100% in terms of health, just in terms of getting your legs under you, right? And being up to NHL speed, like, that takes time, especially when you're coming off of a leg surgery, right? So, I look, I, Ilya Mikheyev continues to find his game, and... He's one of the guys where you kind of looked at and said, okay, like he's fine there right now, but if this team wants to take the next step, they might have to go find someone else to play with Elias Pettersson. But right now he's playing the part and he's doing it quite well. So you're hoping that for Ilya Mikheyev, he can continue to kind of move the needle for that line because look like we've seen him taken off that line week just a week ago uh, from Rick Tockett's thinking that he needed to put someone else there and you know, I think that that was warranted when it happened. So for Mikheyev to find the back of the net, uh, it's good. But I was also just impressed with how he was contributing to creating plays as well. We, we highlighted Suter's work on the forecheck. I thought recently Mikheyev's been getting in a lot harder on the forecheck. Um, you know, dishing pucks back and finding Elias Pettersson in spots where he can then go create plays, creating time and space for Elias Pettersson. Like, that's what you need if you're a winger for Elias Pettersson, you need to be able to create that space. And yeah, like he was putting up the points and he was doing good things, but that was one thing that I think was just kind of missing from Mikheyev's game to start the year was just that, you know, not even separation speed, just the ability to get in and 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 cause havoc and cause problems uh, for the opposition in the offensive zone. Uh, Russian scoring goals with Elias Pettersson. I don't think anybody would have been surprised if you'd uh, said that at the outset of the season. It's just, it's the other guy. Uh, and with 10 goals through 28 games, I mean, he's essentially on a 30-goal pace. Now, again, he's got to hold up his end of the bargain. I don't know that he gets to 30, but with 10 goals at this stage of the season, if he plays with Pettersson, and he stays healthy, and that's been the biggest challenge for Ilya Mikheyev throughout his career is staying healthy, but it certainly feels like 25 would be a, a realistic goal for him, and the Canucks absolutely would take 25 goals and some penalty-killing utility from a guy like Ilya Mikheyev. All right, now let's get to the third period, because uh, there were a couple of things uh, of note in that third period. Uh, one was, uh, and actually I guess one led to the other, and that was uh, Nikita Zadorov steps up and engages Reese Johnson in a scrap at 4-2, to two. Reese Johnson out there takes a pretty good run at Elias Pettersson. You know, it felt like the Canucks had that game in hand. And to me, uh, I'm applauding Nikita Zadorov in that situation. If it's a one-goal game, I think maybe discretion is the better part of valor there, and you just have to take a number and know that you play these teams again. But at 4-2, to two, and the Blackhawks really weren't pushing that much, I kind of felt like, you know, it's not even so much to me a message to Reese Johnson or the Chicago Blackhawks. But I do think that it's Nikita Zorov reading the room, knowing his role on this hockey club. And in years gone by, people in this fan base have freaked out that there hasn't been a response and there hasn't been enough of guys stepping up into those. I mean, that used to be the knock on Bo Horvat. You're a captain and you score a lot of goals, but there are times where, you know, you got to take matters into your own hands. Again, I think we can discuss whether the instigator deserve to be called there. I mean, it's so hard. It's kind of like goaltender interference. You just never know when the instigator is ultimately going to be applied. But 
Nikita Zdorov goes after Reese Johnson. Brief scrap. I mean, the scrap itself isn't that much. But to me, that's more a, a new guy trying to earn currency with his teammates, with certainly Elias Pettersson, I'm sure, appreciates that somebody comes to his defense and sticks up for him, but also to the rest of the league that, look, if you're going to run a, a PD or, you know, Brock Besser or somebody else, that there are going to be some consequences. It is hockey. It's a physical sport. People don't like fighting. That's fine. I'm not here with the bloodlust, but it, it is part of the game. And I just thought for Nikita Zodorov in that moment, now it led to 2-5-10 and 10 and the Blackhawks scored to the power play and they make it a one-goal game. So, you know, maybe it wasn't the wisest thing in the world, but I think that the guys in that locker room would appreciate a player of his stature understanding that that is part of the job description. And, you know, you're not just the new guy here settling in, uh, playing on that pairing with Tyler Myers and playing reasonably well. But there are moments when you're one of the big guys, a physical player on this team, you know, it, it, the situation calls for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and Nikita Zorov, not the best fighter. No. But he's a giant. Like, he's an absolute <laughs> giant. And we saw the fight, Jeff. Like, yeah, maybe he doesn't have the best technique. He still has mammoth-sized hands that he can swing toward the person's head, which is exactly what we saw. He landed one right hand, and it pulled the game. And then I think he kind of pushed and pulled a little bit to get the guy down with his big frame. But... You know, that's scary seeing that size fist coming at your face. That's not something anybody wants to see. So, you know, look, like we're, we're not here to do the whole, um, yeah, you, you, you got to do that because next time you won't take a run to Elias Patterson. No, it's just a, it's just a, hey, this is part of the game. And if you have that role that Nikita Zadorov does on this team, you know, like that's something they wouldn't get from Ethan Bear, right? And, and I'm bringing up Ethan Bear because the conversation was, well, they chose Zadorov over Ethan Bear, who obviously is going to sign with the Washington Capitals. But like, that's what you're looking for from Nikita Zadorov. It's the physicality. Uh, it's the imposing presence on the blue line. And again, not sitting here being like, oh, that's going to make guys think twice about running at Elias Patterson or whatever. But like, it is important to have on your team. And it's something that, like you said, a lot of this market has been complaining about for years. Well, I just, I felt in that moment, again, it's a 4-2 game. The Blackhawks kind of probably feel that another loss is coming. And I thought maybe frustration, like that game had the potential, I suppose, if Reese Johnson starts to run around to get a little bit squirrely. And so that's Nikita Zorov in my mind, just stepping up and trying to settle things down. Uh, again, I... Like, you know, does he go after Reese Johnson and like attack him? No. I was surprised, honestly, that there was the instigator there, but I'm not going to get too worked up about the way that call went. Uh, ultimately, to me, those are the kind of penalties that I think teammates have to dig down and kill off. Like this guy is stepping up to be a good teammate in that moment. You know, you got to return the favor. And unfortunately, the Canucks couldn't. Uh, Bedard off the rush. Uh, Puck winds up on the stick of, as we said, Cole Gutman. And uh, hey, Cole Gutman with a pretty nice shot, snaps it past Thatcher Nemco. You know, and that made it interesting again because there's all this time left and now it's a one-goal game and you're a bounce away from being in a tie against the, the worst team in the National Hockey League who, by the way, torched it for a pair of power play goals. And I suppose when we look at this game in its entirety, I mean, that's a little bit of a concern. It, the penalty kill has ebbed and flowed. I know they talked on the broadcast that it uh, was starting to sort of come around and find its form here of late. And then you go up against the Blackhawks team that opened the game with nine power play goals on the season. Nobody on the team with more than two. And they score two in this game to get within one. So yeah, I, I was a little disappointed in the Canucks penalty kill. I, I, I just thought they could have made life a whole lot easier on themselves down the stretch in that third period. And I get that the Blackhawks are out there doing their best to, to try to score goals, but uh, wanted to see a kill in that moment. And I didn't.
Like you, you said, yeah, they're trying to score goals, but Nick Felino is the guy that burns you. So you're, you're right. You're allowed to criticize them for, you know, not killing off those penalties. And Cole Gutman, as you said, great hockey name, but yeah, like you don't want to get torched by the Chicago Blackhawks. Jeff, the way I viewed this game heading into it was, okay, this is a good get right game. Like this is the worst team in the National Hockey League. Statistically, the worst team in the entire league. This is a great game for JT Miller's line to get right. You've been losing your matchups. Okay, well, here's a good chance to go win your matchups at five on five. Your power play hasn't been great. Okay, here's a chance to go score a power play goal. Uh, Your penalty kill, you want to boost that percentage up, don't you? Here's a great opportunity. And look, I know we're picking it apart a little bit, but the Canucks should have won this game. So I don't want to give them too many backpats for coming out with the victory uh, in this one. I think it is worth mentioning that, yeah, the, the penalty kill, which has been a problem again this year, did get torched twice by the league's worst power play. Yeah, I was surprised after 20 minutes. Like I saw a ton of noise on social about like, oh, early starts and travel and They're the Blackhawks. They're the worst team in the National (laughs) Hockey League. You're the Canucks. You come in with 21 wins. Like, put the hammer down. And so, again, you can get away playing 20 minutes against a team like Chicago and win. And that's what the Canucks did here. And the two points matter. And they do. And you take those and you move on to Nashville. But shows like this one, like, we break down these games in their entirety. And we said the star power wasn't good enough in Minnesota. I'm with you. I wanted a response. And I did not like what I saw in the opening 20 minutes for the Vancouver Canucks until they got that power play opportunity. But it took the power play and really the five on three for them to, I mean, the shots were 10 nothing nine minutes in against the Blackhawks. And sure, the Blackhawks had been sitting at home since Thursday. Guess what happened on Thursday? Like, they got fed by the Seattle Kraken, who just lost eight in a row. And the Kraken beat them 7-1. to one. And so, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I, I think it's okay to raise the bar in this market and apply a little heat. I mean, ultimately, they turned up their game and they got the result they're looking for. But against just about any other team in the National Hockey League, you know, the Canucks are probably down two or three in the first period uh, when you're giving up the first 10 shots. And we've seen this too often recently. Like, Minnesota, that game at home where it took the Canucks 15 minutes to get a shot on goal. And, you know, Florida the other night, and I know some score effects, but you know, outshot 15 to one in the third period there. So, you know, are they playing 60 complete minutes of hockey these days? I would say not so much, uh, but they are finding ways to ultimately get victories. And so all of that said, they get three or four points to start the road trip, but they have to know that, you know, going to Nashville is going to be tougher on Tuesday and then Dallas on Thursday. Those are going to be difficult games. Like on paper, uh, these were the two of the easier games on this four-game road trip, and really there was not much that was easy for the Vancouver Canucks, and yet, to their credit, uh, they get three of the four points available to them. This is rink-wide Vancouver. Lots still ahead. We're going to get to player and coach reaction. Uh, we'll hear from you, the listener, as well, as we check out our social channels at rink-wide Van, and we want to know what you thought about this one, so uh, we'll dip in there as well. We'll have the rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection and the stat that stands out from this hockey game as well, but right now it's time for our Betway bet of the day. And of course, uh, it's that time of year. Uh, The holiday season brings the World Junior Hockey Championship over in Gothenburg, Sweden. A lot of people like Team USA. Betway has odds on the gold medal champions. I mean, Canada is always going to be a factor, but there are a lot of people that like the Swedes on home ice as well. And there's some value there. You can get Sweden at plus 350 on the money line. So there you go. World Junior starting just after Christmas. Please play responsibly. Must be 19 plus. 
We focus on the National Hockey League here on Rinkwide Vancouver, so we'll be keeping an eye on the World Juniors when they get underway, but uh, uh, most of the focus, of course, is on the Vancouver Canucks as they pick up out of Chicago, move on to Nashville on Tuesday, and then into Dallas to wrap up this road trip on Thursday, and then one more home game before Christmas. Uh, that is Saturday, the 23rd at Rogers Arena. The San Jose Sharks are in town. So that's what's ahead for the Vancouver Canucks. What's ahead here is uh, more of Rinkwide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks defeat the Chicago Blackhawks by a score of 4-3 to three for their 21st victory of the season. It's Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway. It's Jeff Patterson along with David Quadrelli. Let's hear from Rick Tockett now because, uh, you know, he's found out this much about him since he took over last January. Pretty honest. Ask him a question. You're going to get a, a response. And I can't imagine that uh, he was thrilled with the way that this game unfolded, much as we broke down in that opening segment. But at the end of the day, it is a win for his hockey club. And so uh, a chance to move on and, and be better in the next game. But uh, Rick Tockett was asked a little bit about uh, the second period and what was the difference there that got his team moving in the right direction? Well, I just thought, you know, we talked about holding on to pucks, um, skating, um, you, know, you know, just winning some battles. I thought in the first period we were obviously sleepy, but the second period was a big response um, and it helped us win the game that second period. And as he says, big response, and it was. And we documented... Uh, you know, guys just seem to step up, uh, repeated shifts. And, and we've seen that from the Canucks uh, over the course of the season, Dave. You know, it's not just one shift. Like, there isn't a turning point necessarily in that game. But when you stack shifts one on top of the other and spend significant chunks of time in the offensive zone, it just feels like you can sort of get a sense that the momentum within that game is shifting. And keeping the shift short, right, Jeff? Like, like that's something that was harped on when this team was struggling at home in mid mid to late November was we got to shorten our shifts. And they've been doing it basically ever since the start of this month. But one really interesting thing I found, you know, on the topic of this, of what Tockett said was in the intermission, they played the Brock Besser uh, mic'd up video. And in that video, you could hear JT Miller on numerous occasions, you know, uh, giving Niels Huglander was one of the guys pats on the back for a short shift, just a good shift, good short shift. And, you know, that that was kind of something that I, I thought maybe they got away from a little bit in the first. There was the sign of a long shift as a guy's obviously the time on the clock. He's been out there for a while, but also, you know, when you're kind of lackadaisical on the four check, um, you're not getting to your spots. You're not the first one on the wall. And I thought they really got away from that in the second period. I, I'd have to go look at the exact numbers, but just from what I saw, it seemed like one, every shift was better uh, at five on five. Let's not forget zero five on five shots in the first period and really cleaned it up in the second. So like Target said, you have to like the response there. Yeah, and the second's the long shift or the long change too, which you know isn't always easy to get off the ice and, and make the changes that you have to, but they did a pretty good job of that. That said, and we've talked a lot about it, so we'll let the coach talk about it now, slow starts. And are they an issue? Because it wasn't just this game, and you know, we kind of laid out in that opening segment about, uh, sure, there are circumstances, but as Talkett has talked about before, this is the best league in the world. There are times where you just have to you know, suck it up and, and play through the circumstances, whether it's three and four, whether it's early starts, back-to-back, whatever the case. So Rick Tockett was asked if he is at all concerned about his team's slow starts. Yeah, it was, uh, the, you know, the Minnesota game and then before those games. The, I thought at home that we, 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 were, we, you know, we were better. Um, 
but you know that's you know we got to maybe have to think you know I have to think of different ways to get the team ready you know whether it's different stuff in the gym um, you know maybe less me I don't know we we have to yeah definitely address it but I knew after that you know that long flight uh, that afternoon against Minnesota afternoon game I knew we were gonna have to use the bench and grind it and uh, you know getting three points out of uh, the two these two games of the back to back you know. We're happy about getting the points, but we have to clean up our game. And he mentioned it. Long flight, sure, that was Friday. Uh, you know, he said he had to use the bench. But ultimately, as we said as well, they get three or four points. And so uh, at the end of both of these days, I think you call it a successful weekend. But uh, he recognizes that, sure, there are still some things to clean up. Yeah, and good teams go through stretches like this. I, that's the thing that I always feel like is worth mentioning. Uh, good players go through stretches. Good teams go through stretches like this as well. The thing that I'm most curious about, Jeff, is you know how are they going to clean it up when they are playing a team where they can't really afford to have a start like this against the Dallas Stars? Because, look, you, you slow start the Minnesota Wild you're still going to a shootout. You slow start the Chicago Blackhawks. Okay, you try for 20 minutes and you're coming away with the victory, but that's not going to fly against Dallas and maybe even Nashville as well. Like Nashville is obviously better uh, than the Chicago Blackhawks. In fact, 31 teams are better than the Chicago Blackhawks, but it's not going to fly on Tuesday and especially Thursday night. So that's almost where I look at and say, okay, You got the win. Let's not dissect it too much, but let's have a real conversation on Tuesday and Thursday if this happens again. Well, four games and six out on the road here after back-to-backs. I'm almost certain Monday will be a full team day off, so it's not like they can get a practice in and work on some things. It's going to have to be done video and then probably a morning skate on Tuesday ahead of the game against Nashville. Uh, Just before we get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars, uh, two things I want to touch on because Rick Tockett was asked about it. In the moment, it looked like there might be a coach's challenge on that second Chicago goal early in the second period, but nobody seemed to know what was challengeable because Nick Foligno was just on the on the edge of the blue paint, but there was nothing that he did that looked like it, you know, no goaltender interference. And then you're wondering about maybe was it offside, but then uh, out of nowhere, <laughs> somehow some video was presented on the broadcast that uh, there was no doubt that puck was up above the glass. Like it was in the mesh, but Taka was asked about it and said they just couldn't get access to a replay in enough time to make a decision to challenge in that moment. So uh, I'm not sure where that replay angle was for the Canucks, but they didn't have it ultimately. But when you saw it on TV, like I don't think there was any doubt. I don't know about you, but that puck was definitely above the glass. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love Tockett's answer where he said, uh, uh, in my opinion, that should be on the league. That shouldn't be on the coaches to discover. Right. And I think he's absolutely right. Like you think about baseball, you're not challenging for a foul ball anymore. Like those things are caught by the league. Like everything, all scoring plays are reviewed or whatever, right? Like you want to make sure you've got it right there. And hey, like we, there's more to the story for sure. Why the Canucks couldn't get the challenge. Like he, he left it kind of open-ended. He wasn't yeah. like, yeah, our video team really dropped the ball there. Um, but he also didn't say, yeah, we didn't have access to the angle because our video team, for some reason, couldn't find it or didn't have it available to them. So I, I'm curious what the full story is there. But hey, I agree with Tockett that uh, the league should be taking care of that. Yeah, and he mentioned that Thatcher Demko and a couple of other players uh, were convinced, but they've just scored. If you challenge and you're unsuccessful, then you're putting them right back on the power play. They've just scored on the power play. So, you know, you got to be careful in that moment. And ultimately, uh, that goal stood. That was the two-to-one goal, but the Canucks responded three minutes later. The other thing that we haven't talked about here is the Canucks could have salted this thing away 
with about eight minutes to go in the third period, Brock Besser off the rush, the shot, rebound to Nils Hoaglander, and where Sergei Bobrovsky is going to make the highlights for all the wrong reasons for the gaff the other night against Dakota Joshua, Peter Morazic, like that's going to be save of the year material, Dave. And the overhead view, and I know that uh, at Canucks Army, the social team posted uh, the, the video there, like the ice level view, you recognize right away that Morazic's made an incredible desperation save, but the overhead view is absolutely stunning with the paddle of his stick thwarts Nils Hoaglander should have been five to three in that moment. And that save allowed the Blackhawks to press right down to the final buzzer. The, the most impressive thing I think, and not to dissect the save too much, but you know, if you have your paddle straight along the ice and the puck is slid right across the ice, that's one thing, but you are leaning back, you're falling over. And then as you're falling, you swing your right arm in the air and just bat the puck out. Yes, you're right. It's going to be on every highlight reel. It's going to be a save of the year candidate and rightfully so. Yeah. Rob's Niels Hoaglander, obviously of a goal that I'm sure would have been nice for him to get, but uh, come on, you just, it doesn't get much better than that like you're leaning back you're reaching back it's just it's it's such an awkward movement for any human being to make um and for for Peter Morales to pull that off it was yeah I look I know I know it was for Chicago and it's not Thatcher Demko so Canucks fans aren't going to like to hear it as much but it's one of those saves that just gets you out of your seat yeah no question let's get to the rink by Vancouver three star selection in this hockey game the three stars in the building I don't know who chose them. Uh, nobody's uh, putting their hand up on the final game sheet. It just says three stars. Nick Felino is the number one star. And he had two goals and some home cooking there, I suppose, for the star picker. Uh, so Nick Felino, the first star. Tyler Myers, the second star on the road. And JT Miller is star number three. Uh, I've got Felino in mind. I, I give him second star honors. I'm going with Elias Pettersson. Like, I thought low-key he was really good in this hockey game. Scored the goal, the power play goal. We said that uh, the Canucks needed a, a shot on the arm there. Loved the one-time look. So Pettersson with his 12th of the year. Uh, he had five shots on goal and nine attempts. And I just I like games where he's shooting the puck a lot because that tells you that he's got the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. And I know there are people that still wonder about that wrist. But when I see Elias Pettersson launching nine shots on goal, uh, that tells me that, uh, you know, the wrist must have been feeling pretty good here on Sunday afternoon. And also the underlying numbers, shot attempts at even strength, 16 to three in favor of the Canucks with Elias Pettersson on the ice. So uh, he spent most of his game in the offensive zone, creating havoc, not a whole lot of defending required from Elias Pettersson on this afternoon. I just thought, uh, you know, they needed an elevated performance from some of their top players. And I did think that uh, it was a pretty solid afternoon for EP40. Yeah, and I like that you bumped him up to first star because, uh, yeah, Nick Nick Foligno, like you said, a little home cooking for the star picker there. Um, but from Chicago, I actually thought Connor Bedard, like I had Connor Bedard in my three because I, I know we do this exercise, so I tried to flush out mine. And he did get two assists, so it's not quite the full Slavkovsky experience that you and I like to talk about when we host together. Uh, but five shots on goal, le- team leading for Connor Bedard tonight uh, on the Blackhawks. And I just... I don't know. Like he he puts up two assists. He was so clearly driving anything that resembled competent hockey that they did tonight. And yeah, I know Felino bangs in the two goals, but I, I thought Connor Bernard deserved a lot more love tonight. Uh, and again, like it picked in house from Chicago. So I was I was a little surprised that Connor Bernard uh, didn't get any uh, recognition for his performance tonight. 
Oh, don't feel bad. Uh, he's got a long career <laughs> ahead of him. I, something tells me he'll be uh, the first star on a lot of nights at uh, United Center uh, for years and years to come. So Elias Pettersson, Nick Felino, and I've got Tyler Myers there too. And it wasn't just the two assists. It was the fact that the Canucks outscored the Blackhawks 3 nothing at even strength when Myers was out there along with Nikita Zadorov before uh, he got tossed from this hockey game. So uh, look, there aren't many nights where Tyler Myers figures in the three-star selection, but uh, I did. I, I thought he... Uh, was good in this game, and so uh, some flowers for him as the Canucks defeat the Blackhawks by a score of 4-3. to three. I want to talk more about that Myers-Zadorov pairing as we move along here. We'll get to the stat that stands out, a little bit of listener feedback as well, and I know you want to get into penalty shots, and we saw another occasion in this game where maybe you know, we saw some shootout attempts at the end of the game in Minnesota, but we thought the referee might point to the center ice dot uh, as play unfolded in this hockey game, but uh, it wasn't to be. So we'll get into that. Uh, that is all still ahead. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Canucks beat the Blackhawks by a score of 4-3. to three. It's Jeff, it's Dave. It is rink-wide Vancouver, presentation of Betway. Going to get into the listener feedback channels here in a sec and hear what you thought of this one as the Canucks pull out the victory. Before that, though, the stat that stands out, we do that on every uh, rink-wide. And Dave, we'll turn our attention to uh, Connor Bedard. You've probably heard of him, uh, his stats that stand out from this game. And I'll get your thoughts on what you saw and what you thought of his performance. First time the North Vancouver native has seen the team that he grew up uh, rooting for and cheering for. Of course, uh, he's on the other side now. Uh, Connor Bedard, uh, twos were wild in this one. He played 22 minutes and 22 seconds, had two assists. Five shots on goal on seven attempts. So he's got the puck on his stick an awful lot. Obviously, doesn't have much of a supporting cast there, but we saw that uh, incredible shot of his on a couple of occasions, and you can just see how dangerous and, and how tricky that can be for goaltenders. The release is off the charts good. So uh, youngest guy in the National Hockey League, 18 years of age, doesn't turn 19 until... Uh, July 17th, and uh, so he'll still be 18 for a while. He'll be 18 when he arrives here in Vancouver on the 22nd of January. That's his one and only trip through here. That'll be a big night uh, for him and his family, I'm sure. But uh, what did you think of the kid in, uh, in a Blackhawk uniform this afternoon? told you yesterday he was the number one thing I was looking forward to watching. I mean, what else was I going to pick? Like Nick Foligno, Jason Dickinson. Um, <laughs> but Connor Bedard, he was, he just, like you said it, he looked so dangerous with the puck on his stick, no matter where he was. And to think that he's still only 18 years old, it's just so impressive. And the thing that I kept thinking about was, you know, on plays where, and let's be honest, like the, the bubble was this kid's childhood. Like the bubble playoffs were part of Connor Bedard's childhood. Like he was 14 yeah. when the Canucks went to the bubble in Edmonton. And when they went on that playoff run, I'm sh I know he's a big fan of like JT Miller, Elias Patterson. The NHL did a thing at the media tour before the start of the season where they hooked some players up to a lie detector test. I wish we could do that for one player post game, each game, hook them up to a <laughs> lie detector for their media availability I love it. and ask Connor Bedard like what was honestly going through his mind when he's throwing up his arms and JT Miller's barking at him because he got a call <laughs> for himself on the hooking penalty uh, that JT Miller took against Bedard. Uh, Bedard drew two penalties in that game. That's a, something you won't really see on the stat line, but uh, I was really impressed with his game. Uh, you know, as good as advertised. And like I said, I want to hook him up to a lie detector test. 
Well, there you go. Glad uh, two drawn penalties to the 22-22 that he played and the two assists. Uh, it really was an afternoon of twos, but uh, the Canucks get the two points. And unfortunately for Bedard and his Blackhawks, uh, a, a goose egg, four straight losses now. And as we said, eight of 10. But uh, yeah, uh, his performance and the fact that this kid at 18 is playing 22 and a half minutes in the National Hockey League, uh, all of that stats that stand out to me. All right, let's get uh, to our social channels at Rinkwide Van. A little bit of uh, listener feedback here. Steven says another early start. Played yesterday, extra time in OT. Slow start, but pulled it out. Old Canuck team would have folded. And there probably is an element of truth to that, that, you know, I do think that this team is learning as it goes here. And uh, there are some indications that things are a little bit different than they have been in years gone by. Uh, Ray says the sheriff, Nikita Zadorov taking exception to the Reese Johnson hit. We talked about that. Uh, Matt Pisco says early starts. No bueno. And <laughs> I don't know if it's the early start. I mean, both teams, it's the same start time for both. Now, I suppose uh, the Blackhawks are a little more accustomed to central time, but you know, the Canucks flew into Minnesota on Friday. This is now Sunday. This game was an hour later than the game in Minnesota. Whatever the case, we discussed this a little bit on yesterday's program too, that it's not for everybody. People are accustomed, creatures of habit, uh, like hockey in the evening. Uh, Occasionally you get some afternoon games. You know, I I just think it's all the challenges that come over an 82-game schedule and you got to find ways and you can't make excuses. And ultimately the Canucks did win. But uh, yes, uh, the early start and the start to this one in Chicago, not particularly good for the Vancouver Canucks. Ken says, JT Miller somehow got two assists while playing like crap. Well, Petey, who looked strong all game, only got one goal. That is the beauty of how you like hang in there in the NHL scoring races. Even when you don't have your best stuff, you do find ways to pick up multiple points. And that's what JT Miller did. Although the pass to Pedersen was, was gorgeous. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from him. And then Miller does get the primary assist on the Besser goal, even though Brock did most of the heavy lifting there. JT basically just shoved the puck to him in the neutral zone and and Brock did the rest uh, and away he went. But yeah, two more points for JT Miller. He leads the way. Uh, But for me, it was more about uh, spread and balance scoring. And really, when you look at uh, who did the the scoring for the Canucks, uh, four different goal scorers, uh, JT Miller has a pair of assists. How about Tyler Myers? He had two helpers as well. He's up to 15 points now. I pointed out uh, midway through the game, he's tied with Drew Doughty and John Carlson, uh, among others, that play that position, Devon Taves in Colorado. Kind of quietly, but again, on a team that is racking up the goals and the points, it's not a surprise that some guys drafting along here. Tyler Myers up to 15 points, almost a half a point a game guy here at the 32-game mark. You know, that's not something that I expected to see for a guy that really hasn't contributed an awful lot offensively uh, during his time in Canuck Colors. If Tyler Myers does anything quietly, you're ecstatic about it, especially if that thing he's doing quietly is getting to 15 points. You know, not to mention that this is the best start to a season he's had in a long time. Like, I think you'd have to go back to his Calder Calder Trophy winning rookie season uh, where he's had a start like this, not to mention that now all of a sudden he's playing shutdown minutes with Nikita Zadorov. And look, I, I know there wasn't much to shut down today, or there, at least there shouldn't have been. Um, but he, he's been playing bigger minutes lately, especially, you know, when you look back at the start of his season, you know, from the defensive end talks about okay who's the next guy in Abbotsford because this guy should be a healthy scratch on any given night Um, the way he's playing right now you know the points are great but really quieting down his game and I think that's something that just is definitely worth mentioning because look anything he does quietly is great puts up the points quietly and right now he's defending quietly as well and I tread lightly here 
because he has been so incredible for the Canucks. But, you know, this was a quiet game, I thought, for Quinn Hughes. And in fact, you know, I think it's fair to point out uh, because the occasions don't present themselves very often, but the defending on that first goal with Philip Hronick and Quinn Hughes, I mean, Philip Hronick has his pocket pick back of the net by Joey Anderson. Like, you got to do better than that behind the net. And then Quinn Hughes is expecting Hronick to make a play and just kind of reverse the puck to his corner, but you can't let Nick Felino beat you to the net front and get inside position on you. So again, it hasn't happened often, but that was not, I mean, there've been a lot of highlights for those two guys uh, throughout the season. That was not their finest play. A rare night where Quinn Hughes is a minus on the final right. stat line, minus one yep. on the stat line. This guy leads the league in plus minus with his buddy, Philip Hironik, uh right behind him. But as you said on that goal, yeah, uh, Hironik has to move the puck. But the thing, and again, we're not on the road, so I can't ask, but the thing I'm curious about is like, is that a communication problem? Because you would think Quinn Hughes would be saying, hey, out, out, out. You've got the F2 coming down on you pretty quick there. And yeah, you're right. It's Joey Anderson. You can't let that happen if you're Philip Hironik. But like, if you go back and watch it, Hironik seems like he doesn't even realize he's coming, which, hey, like that's probably an issue with Hironik. He should know that the guy is going to be coming down on him pretty hard. But, you know, we see it all the time when we're in the press box. You can hear everything. That pairing communicates a lot. And I'd like to go back and watch, maybe ask a player, uh, you know, was there a miscommunication on that play there? Because that's just not a mistake you see Philip Hronick make all that often, especially when he's paired up with Quinn Hughes. All right. I, I want to finish up on this one because I saw you bring this up uh, in social as this game unfolded. Now, JT Miller had another breakaway as he did in Minnesota. He had a breakaway early in this game. Wasn't able to convert on either one of those, but he draws, does draw a penalty. And for a split second, as we saw yesterday in Minnesota as well, there was some question about, uh, and uh, we saw it in Minnesota, not on the Miller play, but uh, Joel Erickson-Eck, you know, was there going to be a penalty shot? And in both occasions, I think you could have made a convincing argument that a penalty shot may have been deserved, although as we saw in the replay, Philip Ronick yesterday, really, I mean, he doesn't do an awful lot there. Uh, but we thought that the referee might be pointing to center ice. Uh, I thought the same thing in this one. And you ask the question, like, is there some sort of league directive here that referees aren't allowed to call penalty shots? And it got me thinking, and in fact, I did a little bit of research, um, because I remember thinking this earlier in the season. And so often when seasons start in the National Hockey League, referees are getting directives from headquarters. How many times have we seen crackdowns on, you know, the slash to the hands or cross checks in front of the net and it gets called a ton early on? Well, there have been 25 penalty shots in the National Hockey League since the start of this season. Incredibly, eight of them came in the first week. And I remember thinking there was a penalty shot, it felt like every single night. Sean Couturier scored on Thatcher Demko in Philadelphia. Liam Foodie had one the last time the Canucks were in Nashville as they head for Nashville again. So Thatcher Demko has faced a couple of them. But there were eight in the first week and then 17 in the weeks that have followed. So it does feel to me like early on, maybe there was some pressure being applied to the referees to call penalty shots instead of penalties, but that seems to have gone by the wayside. And so you're not wrong, Dave, in that, uh, you know, even though some of the infractions maybe warrant penalty shots, we're just not seeing that from the guys in stripes. I even thought we should have seen one yesterday on the, the vicious slash that we saw yesterday. <laughs> there should have been a penalty shot. But yeah, today I was thinking the same thing. I was just like, are we are we scared to call penalty shots right now? And I'm glad you dug it up because I was just thinking to myself that, 
you know, when I tweeted that, I thought for a second, like, I hope people know I'm not talking about all season long because it was the start of the year. You were, you would turn on whatever game and there was a good chance you were going to see a penalty shot or that there already it was one in that game. That's what it felt like at the start of the year. So it just feels like lately there's just been this, you know, this idea that, oh, you, you, you can't call a penalty shot. And, you know, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't want to get too conspiracy theory on rink wide here, but uh, <laughs> like, you know, you wonder if it's like, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to have penalty shots. Uh, power plays are better for the game. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, Hey, I bet the Canucks would tell you that uh, with their five on three that they were given as a result of that play uh, that they obviously converted on. But uh, yeah, it was just a thought I had watching that game was what, like, when was the last penalty shot uh, that we had for the Canucks? Yeah, and I'd forgotten about the one in Nashville as the Canucks now move on to take on the Predators. And this won't be easy. I mean, the Canucks beat the Predators. They've already beaten them twice. They've won the season series. This is the third and final meeting. Uh, but you look at this Nashville team. They've won four in a row, seven of their last eight, beat Washington 3-1 to one on Saturday night at home. So they've been sitting there. And we'll have had a couple of days off as the Canucks uh, move on. Now the Canucks will get a day off on Monday and then be ready to go on Tuesday. Hopefully uh, a better start and uh, prepared at the drop of the puck. But, you know, they're running into a Nashville team all of a sudden that uh, has found its game under Andrew Brunette, uh, playing well. It's not just UC Saros. Uh, Philip Forsberg's had an incredible start to the season. Ryan O'Reilly's been a nice uh, addition there. Luke Shen was injured earlier, but old friend Luke Shen, he'll be patrolling the blue line for the Nashville Predators. So pretty good challenge. And as we said, uh, this road trip sort of on paper gets tougher uh, the deeper it goes as it wraps up in Dallas on Thursday. So, you know, if the Canucks can get two points out of Nashville, take five of the first six, then they have absolutely set themselves up to make this uh, an incredible four-game run. Uh, but that is going to be a challenge at Bridgestone Arena on Tuesday night. And Jeff, you asked me yesterday, I told you I would tell you after the game who I thought should start on Tuesday. No no knock against Thatcher Demko, just wanted to see how the game went. You go to Casey DeSmith. You go with Casey DeSmith on Tuesday night in Nashville. Give Demko the opportunity to get you that win on Thursday against the Dallas Stars. And then, you know, if you want, give Demko the Saturday right before the holiday break. Whatever you want. But Casey DeSmith should start on Tuesday night. All right, Quadrelli has spoken. We'll see if uh, the coaches are listening to rink-wide Vancouver. They should be if they're not. Uh, they've got a day off and you know some flights, uh, a little bit of time to to kill there. So we'll say hi to the Canucks coaching staff if, uh, in fact, they are uh, checking us out here on rink-wide Vancouver. We appreciate all the support uh, and everybody that does make this part of their listening habit. We enjoy doing this, and we do it because we have listeners like you. So Quads will be back on Canucks Convo on Monday, but uh, we will have a rink-wide Vancouver for you after that game in Nashville and, of course, one after the game in Dallas because we do it after each and every Vancouver Canucks game, all 82 games. Plus, we're hoping that we get a chance to do rink-wide Vancouver in the playoffs as well. But that's up to the Canucks. That's out of our control. Uh, Canucks were 4-3 winners in Chicago on Sunday afternoon, a day off on Monday. They take on the Nashville Predators in Music City on Tuesday. For Quadrelli, this is uh, Jeff Patterson. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rink-wide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.